Hello, and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast, Extra Conversations with Pastor Dave. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Well, welcome back to our podcast. This is Pastor Dave. I'm here with Pastor Evan today. How are you doing, Pastor Evan? I'm doing well, thanks. Good, good. Well, Pastor Evan preached this last week, and as you know, we've been in a series called The Disciplined Life, and we've been kind of walking through Richard Foster's book about celebrating disciplines. And um, the first few weeks, I opened up the series on talking about what disciplines are, and then Pastor Bethany did the inward disciplines, uh, scripture, prayer, things like this. I did the outward disciplines. These are like solitude, silence, things like that. And then Pastor Evan did the corporate disciplines, and that was this last Sunday. So today we're going to talk about confession, worship, guidance, celebration. So Pastor Evan, tell us a little bit about uh, outward disciplines in general. Corporate disciplines? That's what I mean. Yeah. Corporate (laughs) disciplines. Yeah. You just looked at me like, <laughs> yeah, that was what you preached on. That's <laughs> oh, all good. Uh, yeah, the corporate disciplines um, are basically disciplines, things we do um, together. Um, and like I started out the sermon, there's some little element of a personal thing. You have to choose as an individual to do it with people together, but they're best practiced in community. Um, you know, corporate, the root of that word is, you know, the Latin for body, corpus. So the, as the body of Christ, as a group of people, we do these disciplines together and they help bring us closer to God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the example that you kind of right off the front, you know, the example that you gave about the sermon being lit and the announcements were bussing and like just words that, you know, people over the age of, I, I would say 45 because I don't have young kids or teenagers they probably just don't know and that just tell us a little bit about why you did that because I thought some people probably were left confused but I thought it was such a great example of why the corporate disciplines matter yeah um yeah it's Gen Z slang as it's commonly known is uh just kind of become a little bit of a cultural phenomenon especially as a youth pastor in a a lot of different, um, I would say it's pretty like interdenominational, a lot of evangelical <laughs> Protestant uh, youth pastors you'll see and different meme accounts and things online are all talking about Gen Z slang. It's such a big cultural thing right now. I think it just reflects how uh, language is fluid and, you know, quote unquote, the kids these days of every generation have their own terms and ways they like to talk about different things. And I thought it would be a fun and funny way to kind of bring people together and think about how we are a really intergenerational church, which is awesome. You know, you look around on Sunday morning and you've got, you know, little babies and you've got people that are elderly in every stage of life in between. So I thought it'd be a fun way to kind of draw out that difference, but also um, how we can use that difference in unity and as one body of believers. And, And somebody, as somebody who has a teenager, I can tell you it was really fun to hear those words on stage because these are words I hear from my teenager at home. Uh, my dad, or my my daughter, no longer calls me dad. She calls me bruh, bruh, hey bruh, you know. And it's just this like you, I would never call my dad bruh, you know. Growing up, it just seems so ridiculous. But um, 
I thought it was a really good example to, to kind of bridge that generational gap and say like, hey, we do need to be talking to each other. There's literally an age group that has a completely different vocabulary, you know? Yeah, yeah it's funny. Uh, someone told me after the service, they're like, I don't know if the young people really like us using those words. <laughs> I was like, well... That's why we use them. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, you can use it to tease them, but I think they like it if you understand them. It's helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I thought that was a great opening um, example just because, at least in my household, it's so prevalent at the moment. <laughs> I keep hearing these words. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I texted my oldest, Emma. I was like, she was homesick. I said, turn on YouTube right now and watch Pastor Evan's sermon. And she texted me back like right away, like the words you were saying. And she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying this on stage. Like they know our words, you know, it was great. So let's go to the first discipline, and this is the discipline of confession. And you said this is telling the truth about hidden sin. Can you talk a little bit more about the discipline of confession? Yeah, I spent the most time talking about this one because I feel like I even I kind of said this in passing at the end of my section in, in the sermon that this one's a little bit counterintuitive for me personally. And I think for a lot of people in Protestant and Western culture, we kind of have some negative associations with confession. And we think like, Oh, my, my faith is just between me and God. And it's, it's very uh, personal uh, one-to-one thing. And I mean, really all the corporate disciplines kind of teach something different, but confession in particular, because it requires so much uh, vulnerability and uh, humility. And there's, not necessary, but I, you know, in a lot of contexts, good confessions happen where there's already a relationship there between two individuals or in a small group. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time explaining it. And I think it's one of those both and issues where we do need to confess to God and, you know, God loves a repentant heart. Um, but it's also helpful to share that with another person, like in an embodied experience and, uh, sometimes hearing it verbally, like you are forgiven from another believer, can give you freedom, not more freedom than you would hear from God in, in prayer, but just a different type of experience, more, a little more tangible, and uh, yeah, you can feel it more sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's good, you, you wrote in the practice, to find a mature believer to confess to. Um what would you say might be the challenge of going to somebody who's like maybe an immature believer? Can you see any challenges yeah. there? Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, when you're preaching a sermon and you want to keep things succinct and clear, but there's so much nuance there. And that was like the word I landed on was mature, but there's so much that goes into that. You know, I tried to explain a little bit what could make a good or bad situation. The pitfalls with going to someone who's maybe not mature or even not a Christian at all, which is completely wrong, <laughs> wrong-headed, I guess. But for someone who's not a mature Christian, it, you know, you, they might end up um, maybe a f- not kind of sitting with the gravity of the sin, like this was bad, this was wrong, and then kind of downplaying it, like, oh, it's okay, like you did your best. Um, it's you kind of have to have both of those extremes of like this was bad, this was a sin and you are forgiven. Um, and sometimes that that kind of both-and nuance can be tricky for people. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think it's also important, like you're a youth pastor. You wouldn't go to one of your youth kids and be like, hey, man, I've really been struggling in this area. You know, and part of the reason why is because kids being kids, I know when I was a youth pastor, if I did that to a youth kid, they're going to hold that over my head and they're going to try and make me feel bad. And they're going to try and get something out of me or they're going to try and like tell everybody. Sometimes things need to be kept quiet and you just need to be like, you need to sit down and talk with somebody and not have your entire reputation dragged to the mud because you, you know, cause you need that grace. And, um, I don't know. I think when one of the dangers of, finding somebody that's really immature is you want to kind of keep this conversation between the two of you, mm-hmm. you know, and you want somebody who's like really going to pray for you not, and, and treat you as if God were there, you know, like yeah. treat you like Jesus would treat you rather than um, go, Oh man, you're screwed up or, <laughs> Oh man, you're the worst. You know, you, you kind of want somebody who's going to give you the same grace that Jesus would. Yeah. And that's kind of the, I didn't go in a lot of detail about the other side. This one's hard because you need to go to a mature Christian. There's so much that goes into receiving a confession. And I think that can happen a lot too, where you have something you really need to confess, but it's can be like shocking to people because it's hidden and they don't right. <laughs> by, by definition. Um, and so you risk when you go to someone who's immature that it could really affect your relationship and they just see you differently after that because they have this image of you in a certain way and that's not how it should be. <laughs> well, and less mature people too, like let's be honest, it could cause them to stumble. They'd be like, oh, well, you know, this guy's struggling with this and so I guess it's fine for me too, like to yeah. deal with this. So like we, we want to be careful not to lead other believers into stumbling too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there's, there's one other take on confessions that I think are important too. And that is the church has so many what is called confessions, and that is mm. Jesus is Lord. Um, like there's all these creeds that the church has for years and years and years have had these creeds to kind of put things into proper orthodoxy. And I think every now and again, it is really important to like pull those out and to take a look at them and to put God in the proper, um, I don't know, place in your life where he is Lord and confess that he is God. And so, I mean, yes, confession is primarily about sin, but sometimes it's just telling the truth about who God is too. God is God. I'm not. Jesus is Lord. Um, You know, those simple things that remind us like, I don't have to be in charge. I, not everything depends on me. And I Mm -hmm. think that those are important as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to worship. You talked about worshiping as, honoring God with your complete devotion. So talk to us a little bit about that um, and kind of what are some ways that we worship corporately? Yeah, the the biggest, most obvious way is Sunday morning church service, and that's kind of the, the rhythm that we have at River's Edge, and, and I'd say most Protestant churches, we gather on Sunday mornings and involves all different kinds of things. Um, prayer, um, singing, giving of tithes and offerings. Um, we do communion once a month. Some churches do it uh, every week. Um, all different kinds of different forms and rituals, but at the center is always uh, God. God reveals himself, and as a body, as a congregation, and a 
community of people we respond um, to what God is doing and saying um, to us. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, you, you were saying like at our church, we do communion once a month. Some churches do it the other ways. And I think part of the point is one of the things you mentioned in your, ser- in your uh, sermon is that there's churches that do liturgy. There's churches that are contemporary. There's churches that do all kinds of different like flavors of worship. Mm-hmm. What's important is that you worship corporately. Yeah. The, it, it Don't make the style of worship your God, right? It just make it your discipline to get together with people to worship God. And obviously, as a pastor, I think that you ought to do that in a community that you know and that you are committed to and all of that. Um, but uh, I think every now and again, for me, uh, I rarely get Sundays off, but it's been really nice Like when I'm traveling on vacation— I go intentionally to a very different style of church mm. just because I'm like, I know what I'm used to, but I want to see how other people worship. You know, I think that's kind of an interesting practice as well. I don't know, any, any other practices for you as far as worship goes? Um, no, that's a good one. Yeah, it can be, it is important to be invested and a part of a um, consistent community, but it can also be nice to just, do something different sometimes and see what other people are doing. Um, I guess that's the one thing I'll add is, yeah, like I said, Sunday morning is our main context, but just like you can worship God in many different ways individually, you can also do it corporately. So a lot of times this can be integrated into like a small group gathering or Bible study, um, reading scripture together, reading scripture out loud is an important way that you could worship as well. Um, that's kind of the whole point I was trying to make is like, there's so many different ways that you can do it. So you got to always start with the main thing is the main thing, who God is, you know, the object of our worship. Right. And then as long as you're, you know, giving him honor and devotion and glory and yeah, it's pretty much all good. <laughs> yeah. And think about ways like that you could do this outside of Sunday. Cause you know, putting yourself in a discipline under, under a discipline usually means like on a regular basis. And granted, once a week is regular. There's also little things that you could do. Like maybe you got small kids at home and you're like, hey, you know, once a month, we're going to learn a new hymn. And we sing a hymn together as a family. You know, all creatures of our God and King or, or um, our Father, this is our Father's world. You know, some, some old hymn of the church. I don't know. I, those are just ideas that came on top of my head. But, you know, maybe... Um, I know when my kids were really young, uh, I made them, not, I didn't make them, but I made them, (laughs) I keep saying made them. I had them say the Lord's prayer with me before bed. And it got to be this thing where it was like, um, of course, this is the discipline of prayer now, but as we did this on a regular basis, they could just do it. And it was like, okay, they know the Lord's prayer now. And I thought, okay, I put them to bed. I could almost use this as like, a time to teach my kids some discipline that they could have that will help them to go deeper with God themselves. So whether it's a song, you could do this in your family. You could pray before dinner in your family. You could um, do all kinds of things. You could do this in your life group. There's all sorts of ways to put corporate worship kind of at the center and make that a disciplined way of life. Um, I was going to tell you, I think one of the hardest things that Desiree and I went through as far as this discipline in particular 
is when I was coming up to this church, I had a sabbatical and I left my other church and they, they were gracious and amazing enough to give me a sabbatical because I was supposed to take one the summer of COVID and COVID hit. <laughs> and they realized that my sabbatical never happened. And later that year when I said, hey, I feel called to leave, they said, well, we still want to give you that sabbatical. And so they gave me, I left in June and I didn't come up here till August, but that entire time I had off. And we were in town for two weeks. And then we were in different, when two of the weeks we were on airplanes. Um, one of those weeks we were uh, in a different place and we didn't, we, we actually just didn't go to, we just watched the church online. But it was so hard. One of the things that we both came out and said after that was going to all these different churches and then for two weeks being on airplanes and not going to a church. It was like, man, we miss having a community. We miss being part of that fellowship. And when we came here to River's Edge, of course, many people, you know, just treated us like family. We felt like we had instant community, but it was like, whoa, we just missed that so bad. And that was so vital. And we didn't really know it until it was gone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, a lot of people probably felt that through COVID. Yeah. I, yeah. As I was kind of doing my brainstorming, outlining for this sermon, I was like, if I had a whole one week just to talk about worship, I was going to go there about <laughs> look at some studies of people's attitudes towards a church that changed from COVID and I think there's been some studies that have come out that have said, you know, basically, while we know we can worship online digitally, there's something really different about being in person and mm -hmm. just that physical embodied, like hearing other people sing next to you and seeing them face to face. There's something different about that that is meaningful. And it's yep. kind of almost hard to like put a finger on how to describe it, but we can all sense it and feel it that it's easy to uh take for granted but then when you don't have it you you really miss it yeah. yeah well i think there's this disassociation when you're watching a service online you're like well that's happening over there but i could still kind of be on my phone or i could still kind of like be distracted at home and not be all in whereas when you're here it's sort of easy to say like okay i'm here right now this is what's happening right in front of me i'm going to be all in on this and one of the reasons why I think that is because I asked people during COVID at, mm. at my church. I was like, so, you know, what do you think? Are you engaging in worship? Because we were trying to find ways to like, how do you make this more engaging? It's online. After a while, it just gets boring. Either way you slice it, it's hard to do online. And so uh, that's kind of what we found through there. Well, let's, let's keep moving on. We got two more disciplines to talk about. Guidance, the seeking... Uh, the seeking of spirit-directed unity. Um, and the, you told this story. <laughs> this was the best story. Yes. About you, you were bike racing, and you didn't have any natural places to be around women, and you, you knew you wanted to pursue a long-term relationship. You were just yeah. around bike racers, other dudes, and you were around a men's group, other dudes. And you had this bright idea, maybe I'll call my high school ex-girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Made sense to 25-year-old me for a moment. Oh, man. Yeah. And yeah. what did your group tell you? They said, don't do it. Yeah, said, <laughs> I think that's, that's a good move. Yeah, I think in a nutshell, um, and I'm actually doing a dating relationship series with the youth group 
kind of coincidentally right now, or maybe not coincidentally, maybe it's probably on my mind that it came up in the sermon too. But uh, basically, convenience is not a good reason to pursue a relationship <laughs> from a Christian perspective. It's No. Yeah, there's a lot of value in being single and in a marriage, but yeah, convenience is not a, not it. <laughs> but if it was just yourself, if you weren't practicing the corporate discipline of guidance, then convenience may have won. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if I really would have gone through with it because it is a bad idea. I think it's kind of a classically bad idea. You don't you don't need to be a Christian to know that's silly necessarily, but yeah, yeah. it's it's was definitely helpful. And like I said, there was other hard decisions that came down the line with um, even when you're doing things the right way and living into God's calling, it's easy to second guess your choices and. I think this is also just an American cultural mm-hmm. thing. We're so accustomed to like comforts and pleasure. Like if something's hard, that means it's bad. It's not for me. And that's really not true at all. Yeah. And when I was listening to you preach on this, the the one example I thought of in my head was our church board. Our church board does not, we, we bring agenda items, obviously, like any board meeting does. And we say, hey, there's some things, there's just decisions that need to be made. But we don't ever vote. You know, our, mm-hmm. I don't think our church board has ever, like, raised a hand and said, I vote this way. Um, I've been a part of church boards in the past that have done it that way, but we've made a really concerted effort to say our most important thing right now is to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say and to listen to God and to find unity as a group and to find out what's God's will, like, together. How do we do this together? And if it really seems bad to one of us, then we just table it. You know, if we're like, you know what, there's just not unity here. And, um, and we should, you know, if, if that's the case, then maybe we should just table this for a few weeks, a few months and really think about it and then come back and readdress it later. But our board does a really good job of saying, okay, let's pray about this. Let's talk about it. Especially like when it comes to spending money or facilities or projects or big church initiatives. We really think it through, and we get to a place of unity before it ever gets presented to the church or before we ever make the next step. And I've really appreciated being a part of our church board that just likes to operate that way. It's very different than a business, you know? So it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also have my own personal on guidance. Um, I have a, uh, a spiritual director as well. Somebody who kind of directs me in hearing from the Lord. It's only one other person. It's not like a community of people, but, you know, he really invites me to bring stuff to him that that I've been thinking through. And then there's the number one question I know what he's going to ask every time I meet him is, what does the Lord have to say about it? And he, what he's really saying is, have you spent the time in prayer and silence on this? And then he helps kind of draw out what the Lord is saying and asks a bunch of great questions. So... I really like that. So if you if you've never practiced this discipline, I would say it's sort of like you you build your own little personal board, you know, <laughs> your yeah. own little group of people, and say, hey, would you would you speak into my life? You know. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that is a a big difference I've seen with young people too. When because you want to affirm like, hey, you should definitely uh, be evangelizing. You should have friends that are not Christians but your closest friends should be and you need to have people who you can 
know and trust that are going to give you good guidance. And you can see when, especially young people, when they don't have that, they're a little more easily um, swayed and in and out of their spiritual life. It's not, not good a situation. Yeah, friends are, friends are huge in especially young people's spiritual life because young people are still building that foundation. And so, you know, if you have, yeah, I always, man, this was a huge topic in youth group back in the day. It's like yeah. your friends will lead you astray. You be the friend that leads, all that stuff. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move on to celebration. You said uh, celebration is finding joy in the goodness of God, and I I love that. I love that. You talked a little bit about. Um, uh, we don't want to do like blind triumphalism, right? Yeah. But we want to have this like sense of like really trying to find true joy in every circumstance. Talk a little bit about how how do we do, do that as a discipline. Yeah, I think um, making it a discipline to celebrate is kind of just sometimes just start by verbally saying it. Like whenever you, I think it's easy for us when we pray to just kind of ask God for help with things, but to always start by saying thank you to God. Mm. Um, God, you're a good, thank you for this, thank you for that. And then here's how this is hard and (laughs) here's what I need advice or help or uh, strength with. Um, cause it's really easy to, to lose sight of the good things when we're going through things that are hard. Um, and it's tempting for me, especially to turn it into this like black and white dichotomy, like this situation's good or bad. And the reality is there's so much nuance that, um, God lets us go through hard things. And, um, sometimes it's dealing with the consequences of our own choices. Sometimes it's, just this general um, sin in the world around us and God still lets us go through things and God is still good. And there's still um, reasons that we can be thankful and rejoice and celebrate. Yeah. I think having a good understanding of who God is, is so key in all this as well, because it's like when we realize that we're secure in our salvation, that we're secure in our life with Jesus. And we realize that there's literally no, unsafe place that we could be or that that we are just totally safe in his love regardless of whatever happens to us or our lives that because we're secure in our relationship with him it's easy to find joy when when you understand that reality so i think that's great and also it really helps being around sometimes like joyful people <laughs> yeah. just other people that you know i think there's a reason why this is a a corporate discipline you know, it's um, it it's so much more fun. Like if you're at a party with other people instead of the only one at a party, right? Yeah, yeah. So picking a date or an occasion to celebrate with others, I think that's important. I think it's important. We do that in our staff meetings. We um, celebrate everybody's birthdays, and yeah. it was fun. We just uh, had one today. A lot of fun, and uh, it's good because. Even today, we started asking questions about like, what was what music was big when you were young, and you know stuff like that. And even though it seems kind of peripheral to ask about and to talk about, what I thought was good about that is it helped us dive deeper and get to know other people better. And in doing that, you trust people more and are more willing to jump into the corporate disciplines. So, I think finding joy is great. 
Um, your warning of blind triumphalism, or what, another thing I would call it was like optimistic delusion. <laughs> optimistic delusion, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like sometimes as Christians, we might have this tendency to be like, well, everything's falling apart, but God's good, so I'm going to be fine. And that's generally true. God is good. You are going to be fine. Um, but also the optimistic delusion or the blind triumphalism does not necessarily lead you to action, right? Sometimes there's things that you need to do to uh, make everything fine. It's like, oh, I'm completely out of money, but everything's going to be fine. Well, go work. <laughs> go get a job. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, pay, be faithful on your, you know, don't spend more than you make, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Don't You can't be blind to some things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's important too. Well, Pastor, any last words on the disciplined life? Um. Yeah, just yeah, it's been uh, a fun series to to listen to and to help uh, teach through. Um, yeah, I've read I read the book a few years ago. It's nice to come back to it, and yeah, that's my last thing, I guess. I we were we really encouraged people each week to pick one thing to do because it's so easy to get overwhelmed and be like, oh man, this is like a huge checklist of, of things I have to do and end up doing nothing. Um, but it can be a good thing to. Yeah, pick one thing for now and then maybe come back to it in six months or a year and see how that discipline has been going or if you want to switch it up and do a different discipline. Because um, like you said, certain uh, even just personality types are going to be uh, lead, lean into one discipline more than the others and sometimes just different seasons of life. You know, you might be in a season where you really need a lot of guidance and then in an a year from now, you might be in a place where you want to give more guidance to other people or you know, you're going through something hard and you need to practice celebration more. So just it's good to keep these in your back pocket and reevaluate from time to time you know, where they could be most effective in your spiritual life. Right. And, and, you know, I would say in this book, there's a dozen disciplines. Is that what it is? Twelve? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the reality of how many disciplines are there? Well, there's a trillion disciplines that you could do in your life. Yeah. These are the 12 most common. Um, I would say if you've never picked up this book, it's a great book to pick up. Richard Foster's Celebration of the Disciplines. Fantastic book to pick up and just to practice, like read one chapter and take a month and practice it. You got a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't feel like you got to rush through the book or get it done. Just take a practice and practice it for a month and see what the Lord does. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it's just a great intro. I, I hope that you all enjoyed the series and are diving deeper with Jesus. And uh, this next week, we are getting into an intro on the book of Revelation. And then the first of weekend of February, talking about the book of Revelation. So join us Sundays at 10 a.m. as we dive deeper into all of this. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.